Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on a shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from Radio Havana Cuba, NHK Japan, and Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. We will begin with Radio Havana Cuba. In Bolivia, Janine Añez, who seized the presidency following a coup, has been charged with genocide and other crimes. The U.S. demands her release. Venezuela released a report on the damages caused to the country by U.S. unilateral blockade and is seeking charges at the International Criminal Court. In Peru, right-wing factions and part of the army are accused of planning to create a coup against President Castillo. A new report by UNICEF warns that nearly half of the world's 2.2 billion children are endangered by the climate crises. British journalist George Monbiot released a report on how the media has helped to create climate change by giving equal time to deniers whenever discussing scientific evidence. Radio Havana, Cuba. Bolivia's former interim president, Janine Añez, who swore herself in as president following a coup in November 2019, has been charged with genocide and other crimes. She's being charged over the deaths of 20 people who protested the ousting of the country's longtime socialist leader, Evo Morales. The charges against Agnes, who seized power in Bolivia and ruled for one year, have been, quote, provisionally classified as genocide, serious and minor injury, and injury followed by death, Attorney General Juan Lanchipa announced over the weekend. According to Bolivian law, the coup leader could face 10 to 20 years in prison if found guilty. The accusations relate to two rallies in the town of Sacaba, near the central Bolivian city of Cochabamba, and the town of Sencata, in the El Alto area outside the capital La Paz in November 2019, in which 20 demonstrators were killed and dozens more injured in clashes with security forces. Washington is demanding that Bolivia release Agnes and other officials accused of orchestrating the genocidal coup. The Executive Vice President of Venezuela, Delcy Rodriguez, presented a report on the damages caused to Venezuela by the U.S. blockade. At a press conference in Caracas, Delcy Rodriguez presented the case known as, quote, Venezuela II, in which the Bolivarian government denounces the United States before the International Criminal Court, the ICC, for crimes against humanity. Quote, a report containing evidence of the damage caused by the unilateral coercive measures against the Venezuelan people was delivered Monday before the International Criminal Court, she said. 
Specifically, on February the 13th, 2020, we referred to the Office of the Prosecutor a case, given that there are reasonable grounds to believe that crimes of murder, persecution, extermination and other inhumane acts have been committed against the Venezuelan civilian population, said Delcy Rodriguez. The Venezuelan vice president stated that the crimes committed against her people were known to the authorities of the U.S. government and that these actions are qualified as crimes against humanity by the Rome Statute. The Puebla Group, El Grupo de Puebla, warned on Tuesday that right-wing political sectors in Peru, as well as sectors of the army, are creating the scenario for a coup attempt against the nation's president, Pedro Castillo. The group, formed by 52 Latin American leaders, affirmed that the opposition seeks to achieve an environment of political instability, propitious for a coup d'etat, which would plunge the country into a deep crisis. Quote, the rupture of the political stability achieved in the last elections would have profound impacts on the reactivation of the economy and the reconstruction of the social fabric after the pandemic, according to the Puebla Group. The group is confident that the Peruvian people will defend their democracy. Since Pedro Castillo's electoral triumph, the siege has not stopped. Last August 1st, a group of demonstrators arrived only a block away from the president's residence, chanting racist slogans of hatred against the constitutionally elected Peruvian leader. A new report by UNICEF warns nearly half of the world's 2.2 billion children are at, quote, extremely high risk of severe floods heat waves, droughts and other impacts of the climate crisis. Some of the highest risk countries include India, Nigeria and the Central African Republic and other nations that are responsible for less than 1% of greenhouse gas emissions. The first of its kind report was published in collaboration with Greta Thunberg and other youth climate activists on the third anniversary of Thunberg's first student strike outside the Swedish parliament. In more climate news, a new study shows deforestation in the Brazilian Amazon has hit its highest annual rate in a decade. Since August of last year, the Amazon has lost over 10,000 square kilometres, an area roughly 13 times bigger than New York City. The British journalist George Monbiat explains how the media, and in particular the UK press, helps to create climate change. Who's to blame for climate breakdown? The obvious people you'd point to would be the fossil fuel companies, but they couldn't operate without us broadly believing it was okay for them to do this, okay for them to destroy our life support systems. And who makes it okay for them? Who creates the impression that business as usual is fine? The media. The media has created the social license to operate of the fossil fuel companies and indeed all the major destructive forces of life on Earth. Over the past 20 or 30 years, there's been an onslaught in the billionaire press of people denying or downplaying climate breakdown. It's all an illusion, it's all been cooked up by communist climate scientists who are just trying to line their own pockets because of course we know if you want to become really rich, become a research scientist, uh, so much richer than oil executives for example, or they're saying well it might exist but it's not that big a deal and we don't want to cripple our economies, we can leave it for the future. And in doing so they've given the fossil fuel companies their social license to operate. They've allowed this entire sh fest to happen. They've allowed climate breakdown to go ahead. It could not have happened without them. If they didn't put that massive effort into propaganda on behalf of business as usual, then business as usual would not have continued. We would have changed by now. And I see these people in the same light 
as people saw William Joyce, Lord Haw Haw, the person who sided with the Nazis against British interests, siding with the forces which threatened the greatest crisis humanity has ever faced, the closure of the conditions that make human life and much of the rest of life on Earth possible. But shockingly, it's not confined to the billionaire press. If you look at the BBC, for example, for many years, every time they got a climate scientist on, they would get a climate denier on to say it's not happening. The rate of warming, according to the data, is much slower than the models used by the IPCC. And often the denier was from a so-called think tank, which in many cases were taking money from the fossil fuel companies, but not acknowledging that. And if we tried to raise this question, if we said, actually, um, excuse me, who's funding you? We were accused of being conspiracy theorists. Then finally, in 2018, they published a document saying, uh, yes, actually, maybe we have got this a little bit wrong. We shouldn't have a denier on every time we have a climate scientist on to both side this issue because actually the science is solid. And you might think, oh, well, that's progress. Until you discover that in 1982, Exxon, the giant oil company, produced an internal document saying that the science is solid and there are no valid grounds for disputing it. Of course, they then went ahead and disputed it and paid people millions of dollars to claim that it wasn't happening in the media. But they came to that conclusion 36 years before the BBC did, and they were an oil company. Has this finished? No, it hasn't. Because just recently, some of us discovered what the BBC has been teaching GCSE students. Climate breakdown has got some downsides, there's some bad stuff, but there are just as many positives, just as many upsides. For instance, if the ice melts, then we can start exploring new resources in Alaska and Siberia, such as oil. And it can open up new tourist resorts. And perhaps we could be healthier because we'd be outside more if the weather's warmer. And in their classic conflation, of balance and impartiality, as if to prove that they can't tell the difference between those completely different concepts, they listed just as many positives as negatives. So any GCSE student learning from this BBC bite-sized module would look at it and say, yeah, well, it's six of one and half a dozen of the other. Yeah, on balance, maybe it's not such a bad thing. And yet this is the greatest crisis humanity has ever faced. They couldn't give a stuff about the impacts of what they were doing because they triggered a massive new wave of climate and ecological denial. As far as they were concerned, it was just bums on seats. They just wanted audience, and you get audience by creating a noise, by creating a great fuss. So again, that puts us in an impossible position. If you don't contest it, people think, ah, oh, well, there you are, they must be right, you've got nothing to say. If you do contest it, you stoke the controversy, and that plays into their hands as well. And while you could fairly say that Channel 4 has considerably improved since those days. That was years and years in which we could have taken action and they helped to prevent action from being taken. And I can talk from experience, so the bitter experience of trying and trying to get these issues taken seriously by the broadcasters. In one case, after we'd put months of work into developing what I thought was a fantastic treatment, the producer took it to the controller of BBC Two at the time, and he looked at the title. That's all he saw, just the title. He said, is this environment? And the producer said, yeah. He said, I've been trying to get environment off this channel for the past two years. Why the f are you bringing me environment? Another time, and again, we spent months working on this treatment, a subsequent controller of BBC Two, she looks at it and said, Monbio, f off. And that was it, again, just gone, dismissed and they prevented 
their audiences from hearing the reality of what was happening to life on Earth. They made these beautiful, glossy, blue-chip wildlife programs, but they made sure in those wildlife programs not to show what was happening to the wildlife. That only came much, much later and after sustained lobbying by environmental groups. They gave false reassurance, just like the billionaire press has been giving false reassurance. Now, things have changed. They have improved. There's no doubt about that. But we lost those precious years, 30-odd years, in which we could have stopped this crisis. And now we're in emergency mode. We're desperately scrambling to try to prevent the destruction of our life support systems. And we have so little political support. We still have far too little media support. And a large part of the reason is this legacy of denial and delay and downplaying on the part of the media. So what do we do? Well, it's become crystal clear to me, and this is why I work with Double Down News, that we have to develop our own media and we have to create our own voices because the established media are not going to do it. They're not going to step up. Even when they do slightly better than they've done in the past, they don't do nearly enough to draw attention to the scale and the consequences of the crisis that we face. And so we have to develop and work through our own ways of reaching people, our own ways of telling it, because they will not tell it as it is. They collaborate with the destruction of our lives, the destruction of much of life on Earth, and we can't afford to leave it to collaborators. I work with Double Down News because it bursts out of that tiny, limited box which the media creates and allows us to see aspects of the world which we're not being shown by other broadcasters. So please support Double Down. And that was George Monbiat, British journalist and Double Down News, exposing the media's role in the climate crisis. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radio8c.cu, though the podcasts are not updated. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 6000, 6060, or 6100. Next, NHK Japan. Japan has extended a state of emergency on the COVID crisis to half of the country. The spread of infections continues to surge with hospitals under pressure. On her tour of Southeast Asia, U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris called on Vietnam to challenge what she called Chinese aggression in the Indo-Pacific region. The presidents of China and Russia say that they are willing to work with other countries to restore stability in Afghanistan. The Japanese Defense Force scrambled jets after Chinese military aircraft flew between southern Japanese islands. This was two days after Japanese forces held a joint military exercise with a strike group from the UK aircraft carrier in waters south of Okinawa, NHK Japan. Japan's Prime Minister Suga Yoshihide says his government has officially expanded the coronavirus state of emergency. It'll now cover eight more prefectures where infections are spreading rapidly. As Tokyo hosts the Paralympics, nearly half of Japan's prefectures will be under emergency measures. The unprecedented spread of infections continues almost everywhere in the country. 
There is no change in my determination to overcome the crisis at any cost with people's cooperation. Thirteen prefectures, including Tokyo and Osaka, are currently under a state of emergency. Starting Friday, the measures will cover eight more and last until September 12th. Twelve other prefectures will be under what's called quasi-emergency measures. But Japan's measures do not resemble the strict lockdowns other countries have imposed. Suga said the highly contagious Delta variant continues to sweep across the nation. Hospitals are under enormous strain with more seriously ill patients than ever. Suga said more than 40% of the public has received two doses. He said he expects that will rise to nearly 60% by the end of next month, a level similar to the United States or Britain. Health authorities across Japan reported more than 24,000 new infections on Wednesday. Ten prefectures logged record daily cases. Nearly 2,000 patients are in serious condition. The U.S. vice president is continuing a push to rally countries against China. Kamala Harris has called on Vietnam to challenge Beijing's maritime aggressions in the Indo-Pacific region. We need to find ways to pressure and raise the pressure, frankly, on Beijing to abide by the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea and to challenge its bullying and excessive maritime claims. Harris met with Vietnamese President Nguyen Suan Phuc. It was the second stop in her tour of Southeast Asia. In Singapore, she accused Beijing of coercion and intimidation in the South China Sea. The trip is part of a concerted effort by the Biden administration, which China has denounced as meddling. Harris also addressed a surge of COVID-19 cases in Ho Chi Minh City that prompted a stricter lockdown. She promised to send Vietnam another 1 million vaccine doses. The presidents of China and Russia say they're willing to work with other countries to help restore stability in Afghanistan. President Xi Jinping and President Vladimir Putin held talks by phone. Chinese state media say Xi wants to improve international coordination to help Afghanistan rebuild. The two leaders also reportedly discussed ways to counter terrorism and address drug trafficking coming out of Afghanistan. Reports from Russia and China say the nations hope to use the Shanghai Cooperation Organization to ensure Afghanistan's neighbors are not dragged into the turmoil. The international body includes India and other Central and South Asian countries. The group of seven nations held a crisis meeting on Tuesday to discuss Afghanistan. They agreed to pressure the Taliban to allow people who wish to evacuate to do so safely. Japan's defense ministry says the Air Self-Defense Force scrambled jets on Thursday as Chinese military aircraft flew between islands in the country's south for a second day in a row. Ministry officials say the Chinese military flew a drone and two manned aircraft over waters between Okinawa's main island and Miyako Island. The manned aircraft were a reconnaissance plane and a patrol plane. The three aircraft turned around over the Pacific Ocean south of Okinawa and returned to the East China Sea. None of the aircraft entered Japanese airspace. Defense ministry officials say they're looking into the reasons for these flights. 
Now, the incident comes two days after Japan's self-defense forces held a joint exercise with a carrier strike group led by the British aircraft carrier HMS Queen Elizabeth in waters south of Okinawa. Sources close to the ministry say the vessels that took part in the drills were still in the area on Thursday when the Chinese aircraft made their sortie. Those reports were from NHK Radio Japan. They are now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 7245 and 7355 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please, Help me to continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the internet, like another listener in amazing Whitethorn, California did this week. Many thanks. We will conclude with Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. There was new massive rain and flooding in China, Tennessee, Kenya, and Venezuela this week. Wildfires are raging in central Russia as well as California and the Northwest. Indigenous Brazilians continue protest against President Bolsonaro, while in Bolivia, clashes erupted outside of the prison housing former coup president Añez. Israel's new prime minister is visiting Washington, while Israeli forces continue to bomb Gaza. For years, Turkey has been besieged by refugees from Syria and elsewhere and is saying it will not warehouse Afghanis fleeing the Taliban turnover in their homeland. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Central China has been hit by torrential rains that have caused landslides and damaged buildings. Rainstorms triggered flooding in Shangxi province over the weekend. Emergency crews were sent to evacuate villagers trapped in low-lying areas. This follows floods that killed more than 300 people in a nearby region just last month. Well, devastating floods have struck the U.S. state of Tennessee, killing at least 22 people. Around 35 others are missing. Record-breaking rainfall sent flash floods surging through central areas of the state, sweeping away homes and vehicles. A local resident told DW News that this is the third and worst flooding to strike the area since 2010. The flooding is just one of the extreme weather events turning millions of people into climate refugees every year. The situation is especially dire in parts of Africa where recurring floods and droughts are forcing people to leave the very farms they depend on for food. At least 20 people have died in the western Venezuelan state of Merida when intense rains caused mudslides and rivers to overflow. More than 1,200 homes were destroyed in the deluge. Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro has declared an emergency in the area. Crews in Russia's central regions are battling extreme wildfires fueled by an unusual heat wave. Nearly 200,000 square kilometers have been ravaged by blazes nationwide, making it the second worst season since the turn of the century. 
Thousands of indigenous people have gathered in the Brazilian capital, Brasilia, to protest what they call President Jair Bolsonaro's anti-indigenous agenda. Indigenous groups accuse Bolsonaro of systematically attacking their rights and trying to open their lands to agribusiness and mining. In Bolivia, clashes erupted at a protest outside the prison housing the former interim president. Yanina Añez is being held over the alleged killing of opponents while she was in office. Supporters say she is suffering from severe depression and re recently attempted to take her own life. Israel's new prime minister, Naftali Bennett, has arrived in the U.S. on his first official visit since taking office. He's hoping to get the U.S. to commit to a new Iran strategy. Mr. Bennett says he will urge U.S. President Joe Biden not to revive the 2015 nuclear deal with Tehran. Israeli warplanes have bombed Hamas sites in Gaza overnight. According to the Israeli military, the airstrikes were launched in response to incendiary balloons launched from the Palestinian enclave that caused brush fires in southern Israel. Well, Turkey is playing a key role in the Afghan crisis. Its troops are among those securing the airport in Kabul, and it is already receiving Afghan refugees fleeing over land. Now, sitting at the edge of Europe, Turkey also borders Iran, one of Afghanistan's neighbors. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan says that Turkey doesn't intend to take care of Europe's refugee problems and is bolstering its eastern border. Now, the public mood has also turned against migrants, as DW correspondent Julia Hahn reports tonight. A police raid in Van, in eastern Turkey. The officers find 25 men in an abandoned house. They all fled Afghanistan, weeks on foot through Iran, then across the border into Turkey. We came here because we had to. The Taliban will kill us if we go back. There is war in Afghanistan and there is nothing in Pakistan. We didn't come here just for fun. Turkey is a better place. Most Afghans who come to Turkey via this route want to continue west, to Istanbul. Turkey has taken in nearly four million refugees from Syria over the past years and hundreds of thousands of Afghans. Many now live here in Istanbul. That has changed the city and is causing more and more conflicts. Wherever we ask about the difficult situation in Afghanistan, the answer is always the same. We cannot accept more people. Yahya Ismailzade came to Turkey six years ago. Since then, he has observed how the mood towards refugees and migrants has become increasingly hostile. These images particularly worried him and his friends. In mid-August, a xenophobic mob attacked several Syrian shops and homes in the capital Ankara. The violence was triggered by reports that Syrians had stabbed a Turk to death in a fight. I'm grateful to be here, but I don't feel as welcome as before. I would say 80% of people have changed their attitude. They no longer want migrants here. I'm really scared after what happened in Ankara. The Turkish army has increased its controls along the border with Iran. A concrete wall is being built at high speed. And President Recep Tayyip Erdogan says that the European Union has to do more instead of relying again on Turkey to solve the problem. Turkey has no duty, responsibility or obligation to be Europe's refugee warehouse.
yoktur. From a country where they fear for their lives to a country that doesn't want them. For the Afghans who crossed the border near Van, the escape is over. Police take them to a deportation center. That's where their fate will be decided. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, also available on a channel on YouTube called DW. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcast, get a global perspective. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. On my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please take a moment and make a safe donation online through PayPal. You can even set up a monthly deposit. There is a link at my website along with a podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 25th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.